0: Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Matt Miller. I'm one of five elders here at Northfield. It's uh, good to see all your smiling faces, your guests, guest this morning. Um, we got a lot of guests because we're having testimonies and baptisms. That's a little bit different. We we do sometimes on a Sunday morning, but but rarely do we do four. So it's gonna be a little bit of a different morning. Hopefully everything times out okay. Um, we're gonna hear the testimonies of Autumn Nassinger, uh Abby Getz, and Stephen and Karen White, and then we're also gonna baptize uh, Autumn and Abby this morning. So. Um, testimonies are just that. These four are going to testify about what the, about the Lord's done in their lives and, and how he's led them uh, to him. And so before we get rolling, I want to explain a couple different things. Um, we have baptisms and we have church membership happening this morning. Those are two different separate things. Um, so I want to explain membership a little bit first here anyway. Uh, we believe that local church membership is very important. Um, what better time to become a part of a local body of believers than, than when you get baptized at that, at that church? Uh, so being a functional part of a church body has some tremendous benefits for both you and the church. Number one, it helps you let go of your um, preferences and your desires and, um, because church isn't something to consume. all right? Church is a, a functioning body. So being a functional part of that body uh, is, is, is important. Um, and then two, local church membership places you under the authority of, of church leaders. So uh, in, in the Bible, I forgot to write down the reference, but it says, uh, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And it's difficult to submit to the authority of church leadership if you're not a part of that church. Um, so that's an extremely brief synopsis on on church membership. So now I want to kind of dive into baptism a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so just as you heard on the church membership, the baptism one's going to be a little bit longer, but not very long. They're certainly not taking it all into account. Um, I'm borrowing most of this part from a sermon that Brady gave uh, a while back, and, and explaining baptism. Uh, but one scholar uh, explains baptism as this. Baptism is about participating in this ancient biblical pattern of going through the waters of death and following Jesus out the other side into new creation. So I'm going to give you a few examples of that ancient biblical pattern. The first one's the account of God rescuing Noah out of Genesis 6-8. through 8. So if, if you recall, humans rebel. Um, they create a mess of God's good world, and God lets them reap what they've sown. So in Genesis 7, starting in verse 11, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, and on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And then we're going to skip down to verse 22. Um, Everything on the dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. "'man and animals and creeping things "'and the birds of the heavens, "'and they were blotted out from the earth. "'Only Noah was left "'and those who were with him in the ark. "'But God remembered Noah "'and all the beasts and all the livestock "'that were with him in the ark, "'and God made a wind blow over the earth "'and the waters subsided.'" So you may be saying, what's this have to do with baptism? "'Noah and his family passed through the waters "'into safety and salvation.'" Let's look at Moses in Exodus 14. Israel's enslaved in Egypt. God wants to rescue them. So Pharaoh agrees to let them go. But at the last minute, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends an Egyptian Egyptian army after the Israelites. The Israelites get pinned against the sea. So they've got the sea on one side. They've got an army on the other side. It's a very familiar um, account. And in Exodus uh, 14, starting in 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Skipping down to verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Passed through the waters into freedom. They were no longer slaves in Egypt. They'd been set by free, rescued by God through the waters, just like Noah and his family. So we're getting a picture of baptism here. Let's try one more. Um, Joshua, Joshua three. Joshua had been wandering in the wilderness with the Israelites. This is after Moses. They've been wandering the Israelites, waiting to go into the Promised Land for 40 years. Uh, but a, once again, a body of water stands between them and the promised land. Um, so Joshua three fourteen. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the temple, and as soon as the as soon as uh, those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now, this is a side note. Now, the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. So, this is flood time. This is flood season. Um, It'd be like going on the Mackinac River right now as opposed to after a five-inch rain in the spring, okay? But bigger than the Mackinac River. Um, uh, The waters coming down from above stood up and rose in a heap very far away. Now, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant... uh, of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So God stops the flow of the Jordan River at flood stage, um, and he allows the priests and all of Israel to pass through on into the promised land. So Israel enters the promised land through the waters. So now let's look at baptism in the New Testament. So Matthew three, uh, a man named John the Baptist is baptizing. Uh, I was thinking about this when I was <laughs> reading through this again. Not a terribly creative name, is it? I mean, like, I'd be Matt the Mountain Dew Drinker, John the Baptist. Um, so he was putting, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River, all right? The same river that they crossed to get into the Promised Land. So John the Baptist, the Baptist is baptizing people, and Jesus appears on the scene in Matthew three thirteen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes into the waters to be, faith, to be the faithful Messiah that Israel's been waiting for. He's identifying with the stories in the Old Testament. Uh, So here's a quote from a scholar. When Jesus comes to be baptized, many of the baptismal events from the Old Testament are alluded to and find their ultimate significance in this important scene. Jesus' baptism is the beginning of a new creation. He's the ultimate Noah's Ark where we can be saved and start again. He's the new Moses who rescues us from slavery and delivers us to freedom. He's the new Joshua who we can follow into God's promises. All that Jesus did when he underwent the violent flood of chaos in his crucifixion made way for everyone who trusts in him to enter a new creation life that he offers. He is where life can flourish and God's pleasure rests. So, what do we do? How do we respond to this? Uh, Paul has the answer for us in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ Jesus was risen, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We willingly go into the waters to identify with Jesus and participate in his death to come out with new life. The flood, everyone died. The Exodus story, the Egyptians died. Jesus was baptized. Um, Jesus' baptism, passing through the waters, eventually was his death, his crucifixion. Our baptism is our symbolic death, dying to ourselves and to Christ in order to come up out of the water in newness of life. These are Jesus' own words to his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Baptism is important. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Baptism is important enough that Jesus himself was baptized. You can think of anybody who probably wouldn't need to be baptized, it'd probably be Jesus, right? There's a, it's important. So, that's all I have to say this morning. I really want um, the testimonies to stand out today, uh, but I did want to did just give a brief um, teaching on baptism. So, uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, have Autumn come up and give her testimony, and then um, come on up, Autumn. We have uh, people who who work, sometimes elders work with folks through their testimony. Um, in this case, Jen Hep worked with Autumn, and after Autumn gets her testimony, Jen Hepp's just going to give a brief word of encouragement, and then we'll, we'll baptize Autumn and start over again.
1: Hi. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Autumn Nafziger. I'm the daughter of Daryl and Sherry Nafsiger. I'm 13 years old in seventh grade and the youngest of six kids. I'm a little nervous, so bear with me. I grew up in a Christian home and had parents who loved me so much. Many times, I wanted my own ways, my own way and would complain or get mad if things didn't go according to my desires. I knew it wasn't right, so I wanted to change. We are all sinners, and I saw how much it was affecting me. At the age of about eight, I gave my life to Jesus because my sister Brooke had, and I saw how much it had changed her. I asked her to help me on how I was supposed to give my life to him. So he sat in a hammock, and she, gave, she helped me give my life to him. In Romans 3.23, it says, free of all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I knew I was a sinner, and that I needed a savior. A few weeks later, I got my own Bible. I can't ever remember reading it, sadly. The only time I ever spent time with Jesus was at church. But I remember one time earlier this year, thinking I should read my Bible. And I picked it up and started reading it. And it has now... Come a daily, everyday thing I do in the morning. I now take notes in the sermon and actually understand and enjoy them. I've seen a change in my attitude, such as being happier if I lose a game, not as angry at friends slash siblings doing stuff I don't want to do. Maybe not with a happy heart, but well, let's not dwell on that. It says in 63:1, "O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. As a dry and weary land where there is no water. As I read this, I think of how it is talking about how important it is that we have Jesus in our lives. We can't live a good life without him, so I'm up here today to proclaim my faith in him. I'd like to be baptized, show how important it is to have Jesus in my life. I hope to apply this verse to my life always and through my everyday to know he holds the future, to love and trust him in everything I do. Thank you for listening.
2: Autumn, Um, I have loved getting to know you this year um, and spending time with you. And I'm really excited about your understanding and your excitement about God's Word. Um, You really seem to understand and grasp what His Word is saying. And um, I hope that continues. And I'm really excited to see how God uses that um, in your life as you continue to grow in your walk
3: with Him.
0: Thank you, Jen. Uh, Autumn, if you and Daryl and Sherry wouldn't mind, or anybody else you have planned to come up? All right, Autumn. So we just heard your testimony of uh, how God drew you to him. And so can you stand here this morning and testify that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and you're gonna live for him? You can. Okay, I'll need that audibly, I'm sorry. Yes. (laughs) Just kidding. Just trying to lighten it up a little bit. You look nervous. All right. And we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
4: We're going to do right now is an ancient tradition within the church and is that for the church leaders in dedication of a new convert or anybody who joins the church to be dedicated to have the church lay hands on the individual and pray you'll see this in various different places in acts so would you join me and let's pray for autumn heavenly father we thank you for autumn we thank you for the work that you've done in your her life already and that which you will continue to do please strengthen her in her faith lord please shine your love on her please give her wisdom and help her to be strong in her faith we dedicate her to you lord knowing that you are the one who forgives us for all our sins and makes us holy to you please bless her in the name of jesus i pray amen Okay. Abby,
0: your turn.
5: Hello. My name is Abby Goetz. I'm the daughter of Greg and Kathy Goetz. I also have an older brother, Jesse, who's married to Lauren. My family life has always been centered around God and his word. I've been attending Northfield since I was a baby, so it's really all I've grown to know as a church. I'm immensely grateful that God gave Jesse and I amazing Christian parents to look, to look up to and get advice from when we needed it. Although having Christian parents was good, it didn't mean that I was saved. For a long time, I pondered this question, am I saved? For a long time, I kept saying, well, I think I am, but I don't know, Do I know God enough? Do I do the right things? Is God going to say to me one day, depart from me for you do not know me, or will he say, well done, my good and faithful one? The first time I repented was when I was nine, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart because I knew I loved him and wanted to be with him, but I didn't fully understand everything. I never doubted if God existed or if I believed that Jesus was my savior and he died and rose again, I knew all those things to be true. The issue was I had a lot of self-doubt and insecurities in myself and thinking I was not good enough. This was the devil working in me to keep me from God. And even though I thought I was worthless, to God I am worthy and I am valued. Just like it says in Matthew 6:26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Satan constantly tries to give us challenges and distractions to keep us from going closer to God. He did this to me by having me constantly compare myself to others to the point where I'd sit in front of the mirror and just hate so much of how I looked or who I was. In Psalms 139, 13 through 15, for you formed my inward parts, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. So how could I be so so insecure with my self-image when I am fearfully and wonderfully made just the way I am? Satan also tried to keep me busy with sports, which kept me from going in my faith. Um, don't get me wrong, I loved sports. They were great. They taught me a lot of good things, but um, I played softball every summer, so there, I was gone a lot of Sundays, um, mainly over the weekends. I'd miss a lot of church during the summers because of that, which was something my mom always disliked about travel ball. During the school year, playing basketball and softball was very time-consuming, so really the only time I spent on my faith was Sundays at church. I was just going with the motion of things. I didn't really have a desire for God's word or felt like any of the services related to me. I had a hard heart. All these distractions caused me to question my salvation. Like I said, I repented when I was nine, but I didn't have the full meaningful understanding of it. It wasn't until later on after high school when I realized I needed to make some changes in my life. That's when I started to actually make an effort to work on my relationship with Jesus through a process of repentance, prayer, reading my Bible, and a desire to wanna follow the Lord. I felt the Holy Spirit working on me more and more as I became more aware of things I would say or do that probably weren't pleasing to God, whereas before I would've just brushed it off and ignored it. I also felt the Holy Spirit trying to push me outside my comfort zone in certain situations that offered an opportunity to share my faith with others. He knows I will never be perfect, and he doesn't expect me to. And he also doesn't expect me to do all these works for him as a currency for my salvation. All he wants me to do is love, confess, and believe that Jesus is Lord, like it says in Romans 10:9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And because of this, I can now say with full confidence that I am saved. I want to be baptized because I want others to know that I am for God and I will stand with him and trust him through whatever comes my way in life. My hope moving forward is that I will be a light to others so that they will see how God has worked in my life so that they may see him working in theirs as well.
3: Thank, so thank you so much. <clears throat> thank you, Abby, for sharing with us. And it's, it's very normal to feel doubts and feeling like we're not good enough. And I really appreciate how you brought out that God sees you as worthy because in his eyes you are. So thank you so much for sharing that. And then also when we met with you, we suggested that not only the, the um, input of your parents, it would be good to have a mentor. And uh, I feel like everyone should have a mentor, especially young people. I enjoy mentoring people because it just helps you grow in your faith. And so uh, you chose Jody Dill as a a mentor, and uh, she'd like to share a couple words with you.
2: All right, Abby, I wrote my thoughts down so I wouldn't forget anything. Today is a hallmark day. It's a pivotal day in your life because you have proclaimed Jesus publicly as your uh, personal savior. And I know, and you know, that he is where our joy is. I've never told you this before, but you remind me of someone. It's someone I've never met, but it's someone who I've read about. And when I read about her, she is described just like I would describe you. This woman married a king, but not just any king. She married a man after God's own heart. She married King David. Her name was Abigail, and Abigail is recorded in the Bible as being intelligent and beautiful. She was known for her humbleness, courage, generosity, and discernment. God called her to rise up and to try to divert disaster upon her household. She confronted King David and won his favor. You not only share her name, but I believe you share those same qualities. I know this because I have a story that describes that. During your kindergarten year, I was privileged to be your after-school childcare provider. You kept me on my toes all the time. One day, the teacher sent home a note in your backpack. It was intended for your parents, but something on that note you did not want them to see. And so, Abby, I think you were thinking just like Abigail, and you were thinking, I have got to divert disaster. So you came up with an intelligent plan. And I'm sorry, I didn't ask permission to share this, but it fits so perfect. Um, With confidence, you threw that note in my garbage can. And you thought, voila, just like this, it is magically gonna disappear. But your plan did not go as intended. As the note was eventually found, but I believe God's plan was in progress. Because I believe back then that God was working in your little heart and he was taking this moment as he often does and was growing confidence, humbleness, and discernment in you. I know this because when we spend time together now, now that you're a woman, I see that discernment in you. I see your generosity, I see your beauty, and I see your intelligence. And just like Abigail, I want you to confidently take those qualities and further his kingdom. I love you.
0: Can you stand here before uh, this crowd of witnesses and, and profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And by your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
3: We just thank you so much for Abby's testimony. We thank you for the work that you're doing and have done in her life. We thank you, Lord, that she has learned to bring her insecurities and doubts to you. We pray that she continue to do that in the future when they come. We pray that you would guide her and bless her, help her to uh, really get into your word and understand it, and that you would teach her and guide her, prepare her to be more and more of the woman you want her to be. So we speak blessings over her as she... Uh, takes part in things in the church, and as she um, ministers to people outside of the church, just pray that you would empower her and strengthen her. We thank you for the work that you have done, and we commit her to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: All right. Steve and Karen White are... I'm going to go. They're just giving their testimony. They've already been baptized, but uh, they're going to go ahead and go uh, give their testimonies as kind of a couple.
6: Hi, my name is Karen White, and I'm married to Steve, and we have five kids, Natalie, Clara, Liesel, Charlotte, and Samuel. I was born June 2nd, 1981, about a month earlier than expected. However, it was a significant improvement over my initial attempt to greet the world in April. By uh, by the time I was three years old, I'd had then-experimental drugs to develop my lungs, a blood transfusion, stomach surgery to allow food to stay down in my stomach, and an open-heart surgery to repair a hole in my septum. Fortunately, God saw to it that I had just the right parents for all my surprises. My dad was a practicing family physician, and my mom was a registered nurse between their knowledge, experience, and resilient sense of humor, they patiently worked through all of my hurdles. By the time I was five, I was released by my pediatric cardiologist to, be, uh, to live life as a normal kid. So that's what I did. I played softball, did gymnastics, took dance lessons, climbed trees, and spent endless hours playing with my younger sister, Heidi. I excelled in school and sports and stayed busy and happy. My days were filled with activities and good childhood memories of friends, family, and fun. (sighs) Sorry, nervous. (laughs) About the time junior high came around though, that began to change. While much of the world around me was still intact, the world inside me was not. Things like making and not making a team I tried out for, having to wear a headgear to fix my teeth, rejection, ridicule not fitting in, and that seemingly overnight shift that all girls experience in friendships at this age chipped away at my fragile performance-based self-esteem. I found myself bitter, lonely, jealous, and empty. I hated myself, and I kept company with those who felt the same way. Schoolwork and extracurriculars kept me busy enough to stay afloat on the surface, but inside, I was crumbling. As an introvert, and as a teenager, I wasn't much for talking about how I was really feeling or what I was really going through with my parents. So I kept a lot of the pain inside, and no one really knew, not even my friends. But God did, and I didn't know it, but he was waiting to reveal himself to me during my first year of high school. By then, though I had never made a plan to take my own life, I was starting to understand why people could get to a place where they didn't want to live anymore. Surely everyone else's lives could go on just fine without me. It's ironic how heavy emptiness can be. Though I still worked hard to stay busy and distracted with school, he got my attention through one of my friends. I'd noticed a change in her. She was reading her Bible at slumber parties, talking about God more often and and referencing church activities, and I was curious. Through lots of note passing, long letters and conversations with this friend, and listening to my very first jars of clay and DC Talk CDs, (laughs) I came to realize my need for Christ. I could not carry the weight of all my sin, the self-hatred, self-pity, jealousy, and bitterness, to name a few, and make myself acceptable to a holy God. I needed to ask forgiveness and accept the salvation Jesus offers through his sacrifice on the cross. It wasn't something I could accomplish on my own by working hard or being good. In the summer following my freshman year, somewhere between two and three a.m., I placed my faith in him and scribbled out my thoughts and experiences to the dear friend who had helped me along the journey. Though my struggles did not go away, my perspective on life changed dramatically, and I saw my day-to-day interactions with new eyes. At the time, the church I was attending was not strong on biblical teaching or application, so much of what I learned came through Christian friends. One of those friends happened to be an outgoing, carefree young man named Ben. I don't think he ever met someone he didn't like. He had all kinds of energy, and made even awful classes like chemistry and algebra seem enjoyable. His faith seemed to flow seamlessly into every personal interaction he had. We had the same lunch period, so we ended up talking a lot. And by the fall of my junior year, we were going to homecoming together. The future looked bright, for whatever a 16-year-old girl can imagine at the time, but as many of you in this church know, we didn't get the chance to see it through. We were mid-conversation on one of our nighttime country walks when we were struck by a car going 55 miles an hour. He did not survive. I will not give the details of the incident here, though I am okay with sharing if you ask, but the trauma of the 24 to 48 hours following impacted me for the rest of my life. I didn't really know how to process all that happened, and neither did my peers. I clung to my very young faith and stayed connected with the Rumbled family, but I lost a number of friends who dealt with their grief through drugs and partying. I never went to counseling. I didn't know what to say. And so grief unprocessed followed me through my senior year and into college, manifesting itself through clinical depression, social anxiety, and an eating disorder. It was during my freshman year that I also chose to be baptized by a pastor of one of the campus ministries I belonged to. Though I knew I was taking a step of obedience and faith, my spiritual journey through unprocessed trauma still had many miles to travel. Through it all, I know God was keeping me afloat with the help of my parents and emails to the head pastor of the new church we had started attending. Some of you may know him, but Doug Hobweger of Grace Church Patiently answered all my Bible and Christian life questions that I sent him and that helped stabilize my faith Though I was still mentally and emotionally fragile I grew stronger and closer to Jesus during what seemed to be the worst years of my life After college I started a teaching job teaching French to adolescents. Yes, you heard that right At Thomas Metcalf School and University High School a friend of mine invited me to a local church And it was there that I met Steve my future husband I was still carrying all of my emotional trauma baggage, but he pursued me anyways, and we were married less than two years later. Our first year of marriage was not wedded bliss. My past collided with his, and you'll hear his story, and some may wonder how we ever made it. After several years of ironing out wrinkles and finding some stability, we felt ready to start a family, only to find ourselves finally making the decisions to start setting aside money for adoption. However, shortly after that, I was surprised to find that I was pregnant, and we had four more surprises after that. (laughs) Though now my life as a stay-at-home, homeschool mom of five in a small rural town looks vastly different from the rest of my journey up to this point, some of my struggles are still the same. The enemy still whispers in my ear that I am worthless, that no one actually really likes me or understands, and that I have to prove or apologize for myself, and that staying busy and quiet is the best way to deal with pain. I have added health issues that complicate that pain and feed a sense of isolation, and I am still regularly haunted by depression and social anxiety, but God has made surprising provisions for that. He has placed me in a church family that knew me 25 years ago, when my life turned upside down and I thought he took my future away and knit my husband and children into it as well. So, he knew what he was doing all along, and though it has taken me a while to understand, I feel like becoming a member of NCF is my way of acknowledging his work in my life. Thank you.
7: On the surface, my childhood seemed pretty normal. I was the youngest of three kids that seemed to come from a good home. We played games, went on a few vacations, and went to a Bible-believing church regularly. If you saw me as a young boy, what you saw on the surface was the most part how life was every day. However, as time went on, the good times became less frequent, and the normal family life began to fade. As a grade school kid, I was met with a ruthless amount of teasing. Uh, as you can see today, I'm not that big of a kid, and when when I was younger, I was extremely small, and kids let me know it. I also grew up in an area where wearing the right clothes Um, What Determined whether or not you were cool and that only added fuel to the fire During the same time what seemed like normal arguments between parents Began to turn into a real dysfunction The family nights, the games, the time slowly eroded away and the dysfunction of the family largely took over Through all this I learned to cover up my fear, hurt and despair with a smile as if life was good by all appearances, I was happy, but on the inside, full of pain and sadness. As my life grew more intense, there was still the presence of the church. In my view, we became that family to our church. We were the family with all the problems. We were the family that didn't have their act together. However, what I thought what I thought, were people thinking... Uh, However, what I thought people were thinking was different from what was true. Even though there were several families that knew of our family struggles, they stepped up out of concern and tried to be proactive during our time in distress. Years later, I can still see how many of them had a positive impact on my life. And it wasn't that uh, they were judging us, they had a true uh, concern for our family and where we were going. As with most kids in our church, I went to a summer Bible camp for a few years in grade school. One year at camp when I was nine, I clearly understood the gospel of salvation for the first time. I didn't go up during the altar call, but that night I couldn't sleep and was lying in bed. I was thinking about the message I had heard and what it meant for me. Eventually I prayed and accepted Christ as my savior. Well, nothing really changed for the better in my family life in the days, weeks, or even years that followed. There was always an understanding that God would carry me through the hard times. It was during this time that I believed God's hand in my life kept me from going down several wrong paths. I remember many times the still small voice talking to me in my heart. As I grew into adulthood, I moved to normal and attended ISU. There I was invited to a church about a mile off campus that had a great college ministry. And it was there that I solidified the why behind my faith and was eventually baptized. Soon marriage was on the horizon, and I had to let go of the past, forgive, and move forward with family relationships. I had to unlearn bad behaviors, poor coping mechanisms, and how to manage the pressures of life in a healthy way. I wish I could say that this happened overnight, but it has been more of a process of refinement over the past 25 years, especially in recent years. One area of my life I never really acknowledged was a battle with anxiety. The byproduct of it was always there, but went on for years without being acknowledged. I think we all remember 2020 loud and clear, but I remember it mostly for a different reason. In addition to adjusting to the new normal of COVID, situations at work were becoming increasingly stressful and out of my ability to control, and we were surprised with the news of being pregnant with child number five. Once Samuel arrived, he was a terrible sleeper, and we were all exhausted. I was stressed, and life felt chaotic in many ways, and this would periodically trigger flashbacks of memories from my younger years. While I'd had this happen from, to time, from time to time over the years, this time they were more intense and would happen several times a week. On several occasions, the, the voices of my children playing echoed through the walls, and for some reason, they resembled the sound of arguments heard decades before. My stomach would turn to knots in an instant, and I could feel my heart race. Memories from growing up felt like real life all over again in various dreams. I knew I was stressed, but as always, I just put on the same face and acted as if everything was okay. I never said anything to anybody, not even Karen. On the outside, I was calm and smiling, but on the inside, grappling with a lack of control from conflict and chaos in life. Ultimately, anxiety took over and culminated itself into two panic attacks. Other than telling our small group, I also covered up those two instances with a smile and kept them to myself. I quickly took to running and other anxiety management techniques. I soon found out that they were just a band-aid. While running and u- While running and other anxiety management techniques provide some good health benefits, they don't deal with the real spiritual issue. Growing up with years of conflict and chaos, I had taught myself to be the mechanism to control and change situations through hard work and trying to control situations as much as possible. The only problem is I replaced God with myself in those times. While the chaos and conflict come and go in life, I've learned to allow God the control that he has always had. I wish I could stand here today and say that I have it all figured out, but anxiety still creeps in and sometimes I still try to bear a burden I don't have to carry. As a work in progress, I have come to appreciate how God uses the everyday circumstances to continually refine his children and slowly mold us to be more like him.
0: Um, to hear their testimonies, to hear all these testimonies, you know, I can, um, I, I know this resonates with different people. Anxiety, um, just all the stuff we heard this morning is, uh, is a struggle for many here. Um, but uh, for you both, I want to just uh, read a verse out of James. James one, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And, uh, and just through your testimonies, you can see that, that God um, faithfully giving you that maturity um, through each phase. So we'd love to pray over you too, so if you wouldn't mind kneeling. Um. <laughs> Heavenly Father, um, Lord, just thank you for Steve, Lord, and thank you for um, the journey you brought him through Lord, um, in the moment, um, a broken family or or just huge hardships um, seem uh, insurmountable. But but looking back on them, Lord, we can see how you you won those battles for Stephen. So just thank you for his commitment to you, Lord, and his um, and his honor to you and his family, Lord. And Lord, I also uh, lift up Karen before you and thank you for her testimony, Lord. Thank you for. Um, the love and grace you've shown her, Lord. Thank you for um, for bringing the Rumbold family into her life and helping her understand what what true love is, Lord. And um, I just thank you for for everything you made her to this day. I just pray that you would continue to to um, make her a, a wonderful mom and and wife and um, and just believe her, Lord. So just thank you for Steve and Karen, and I just pray that you would bless them as they. Uh, join the church family here at NTF. we just pray these things in jesus name amen that is uh all we have today um if you are not a believer any of these testimonies resonated with you and you just you want to just learn a little more about about faith in christ we'd love to share that with you bill's the elder in the office out there i'm here evan's here tim is this uh sound booth um talk to any of us, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you are a believer and you have not been baptized, I would really encourage you um, to take that step of obedience and get baptized. And if you are a baptized believer and would like to join Northfield as a church family, I'd love to have you here with us. Um, That's all we have today. There is lunch out in the all-purpose room. You are all invited to join us and stay as long as you like. Um, High schoolers, it's the fifth Sunday. Enjoy dish duty today. Go in peace.